2: The I Love You So Much podcast is proudly sponsored by Hilton. Discover Austin and choose from one of our many brands including Hilton, Embassy Suites by Hilton, DoubleTree by Hilton, Hampton Inn and Suites, and home to Suites by Hilton. See more, save more. Stay at Hilton. Unlock local experiences at travel.hilton.com.
0: I have lived in Austin about 60 years and I came down here to go to school. Law school, became a lawyer, and at the ripe old age of 50, decided to become a full-time film actor. It was a good time uh, because there was a lot of opportunities for old men over 50, and one of the most memorable films I was in was Bernie with Matthew McConaughey and Jack Black and Shirley MacLaine. I played a lawyer in the film and uh, defended the Jack Black character and lost the case. Well John Kelso picked up on that and came to my house and interviewed me and uh, he made great light of the story that I had won a lot of murder cases while being a real lawyer but had lost this one on film to McConaughey. I am Brady Coleman and this is I Love You So Much. Welcome to I
3: Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm your host, Tolly Mosley. I'm Omar Gaiaga.
4: And I'm Addie Broyles, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman. By now, mindfulness techniques
3: have made their way into the workplace, yoga classes, and possibly your own home. But what about schools? Former AISD Teacher of the Year, James Butler, is bringing mindfulness to classrooms from pre-K to high school. He talks to us about kids and emotional awareness and how these types of practices can transform the culture of schools from the inside out.
5: Mando Rayo and Dennis Burnett can tell you where to get the best tacos in just about every city in Texas. But their passion is about telling the stories of the people who make them. The Austinites came to the studio to talk about Tacos of Texas, a web series debuting on September 25th.
4: In a web report, Eric Webb tells us about his recent interview with Project Runway mentor Tim Gunn, who will be in town this week for the Jewel Ball Fashion Luncheon. We'll end, as
3: always, with our recommendations and a toast, but first, James Butler. From conflict resolution to teacher self-reflection, Butler's methods are having a big impact on Austin schools. Hi, James. Welcome to I Love You So Much.
2: Hi, Dolly. Thanks for having me.
3: Okay, so we wanted to start out the segment by asking, what exactly is it you do? Because you're the only professional uh, social learning and emotional specialist in a school district I have heard of. So what does your job description look like?
2: So um, that's a great question. So I'm a SEL, social and emotional learning mindfulness specialist, and um, basically just means that I go around the district and I share mindfulness with teachers with students with parents with staff members um with the goal of supporting social and emotional learning because we have a really like really big um sel department in in aisd and uh just as a way like as like a concrete tool use you know to use mindfulness in the classroom at home in meetings as a way to kind of like help everybody you know be more centered as we as we start whatever it is our classroom day our meetings you know like maybe even at home before meals or before bedtime um so i'm just trying to help you know kind of get everybody centered and i like thinking of it like centered as opposed to calm because a lot of times people think of mindfulness as a way to calm down but a lot of times if like you know it you can use mindfulness as a way to to pick up if you're feeling sad if mm. you're feeling really tired you can you know just being aware of what your body needs and then either going up or going down in you know whatever whatever it is that you that you need in that moment
4: yeah. so i wanted to ask so SEL is a pretty common term nowadays but it, has this just basically replaced what we previously called guidance counseling
2: <laughs> um i think i i don't think so i think that it's um because it's being used more like explicitly in the classroom by the teachers, mm. um, so it's it's um, it's adding another tool to teachers' tool belt because um, you know their teachers are wizards. <laughs> they do so much, um, but this is really really important. This is another like really important skill for teachers to have and to share with um, with their students because you know like without the brain we can't learn and if our brain is dysregulated, we can't learn. So all the reading, math, science, you know, all that stuff that, you know, kids are expected to learn, teachers are expected to teach. If, you know, if our brains aren't, aren't regulated, aren't ready to learn, then it's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. So this, this allows, this like gives tools to make sure, or to at least like hopefully help our kids get to a place where they can learn.
4: And if the classrooms are socially dysfunctional, there's not going to be very much learning that
0: goes on no. either. So yeah. it
4: sounds like uh, SEL is treating both the individual students, but also the classroom culture, the school culture. How do we um, encourage the kind of kindness and do to others mentality that we want to see in our kids? Exactly. So that's what SEL is sort of as a whole. But you specialize in the very specific part of mindfulness. And I think that's what yes. Tali and I think is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get into the why
3: you started teaching this, James, because this seems really a shift from how all of us grew up. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't get any, emo- any emotional literacy in the classroom. Like, Oprah. I, I, oh, exactly. <laughs> Oprah, Mr. Oprah Rogers. Mr. Rogers. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yes. Some Sesame Street, maybe. Yep, yep, yep. But like, there just seems like it wasn't, there wasn't really a place for anger or sadness in the classroom. There mm-hmm. just wasn't. And um, mm-hmm. I do remember self-esteem, like feeling good about yourself, but I don't really recall any teacher you know, walking me through the process of having my feelings and stepping away and looking at them. Positive self-talk. <laughs> right, Yeah, Positive self-talk, right? Yeah. So, so why? Like, why did you observe that this is a need, James, and get into it?
2: So I um, got into it myself because I was struggling. I was going through a hard time dealing with depression and anxiety um, as a result of PTSD that I have. And I just I noticed that it was like my stuff was coming out in the classroom. I was teaching kindergarten at T.A. Brown at the time. And I was recognizing like that my stuff was coming into the to the classroom. And I was like, this is this, this my five year olds don't need this. Like this, right. this is mine, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. So I found this terrible, cheesy yoga YouTube video uh, that's like five minutes long and it was like sun salutations like with dogs barking and snakes hissing (laughs) for the kids so they're all like having a great time and i'm just taking my big old breaths in and breaths out and just like getting getting centered and allowing me to see where my kids were and to really like understand their behaviors and like the root of their behavior not just see or hear like some type of like comment that might have like been mean but like what's 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 causing those those behaviors what's at the root of them because you can't just like put a band-aid on you know and I have very personal feelings about like discipline and you know like ruling with an iron fist or putting your thumb down like mm-hmm. that it just does not work right. you have to get to the root of like what because kids are trying to say something they're trying to express themselves mm-hmm. so I feel like mindfulness really helped me like hear my kids um, Mm -hmm. at a much like deeper and profound level and and my students families as well Um, just understanding where they were coming from what their education background was like what their home life is like so that I didn't like rush to judgment and I could really understand where where they were at and I could meet them where they were at to help to help their um, their kids because parents are Teachers, teachers, number one. Mm-hmm. This um, is
4: amazing to me because it sounds like what a family therapist would do, <laughs> but not everybody has the resources to go and do that. And so you're on the front lines working with, you know, the teachers and the students and the families themselves. And, you know, the more people that you learn in each school, then they can help train each other and support mm-hmm. each other. Tell us about your initial career getting into the classroom. You were AISD's teacher of the year in 2014. Yeah. And then you got out of the classroom. <laughs> so tell us what got you in it yeah. and, and what got you out.
2: Um. So... Excuse me sorry um so what my past brought me into the classroom because i didn't want kids i wanted to be there for kids if they didn't have a positive role model so that's kind of like what brought me into the classroom um and just continued and i didn't think i was i love (laughs) love teaching taught kindergarten taught pre-k um even taught high school in namibia for a year like i love teaching and i never thought that i would leave the classroom um but the opportunity arose um, based on you know mindfulness and kind of like starting a program for um, for elementary schools and it went really well. And then um,
4: you, know, you this can scale arrived. this.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Kind of created your own job, didn't you?
2: I mean, I I helped. It wasn't just me. Like <laughs> right, there are right. a lot of a <laughs> lot of moving parts. A lot of supportive teachers and parents. And Dr. Cruz, the superintendent, was incredibly supportive. And our SEL department is really strong. So it was... You know, it was kind of like, it was a nice little match, mm-hmm. but now it's able to, I still consider myself a teacher, like at my core, mm-hmm. but now I get to teach like teachers and parents and administrators and kids sometimes.
3: Right. So, Okay. So I want to talk about what this looks like, because I think whenever people hear mindfulness, they think meditation, mm-hmm. but there are actually a bunch of different tactics and it seems like they can be malleable depending on what age group that you're working with. So let's talk about the what's like what are you encouraging and training teachers to do?
2: Yeah so I was um, you know first of all just keeping my teacher hat on just thinking like one to five minutes every day. Keep it consistent um, but really use those times that you already have like your morning routine Or maybe transitions from activity to activity. Or for middle school and high school, transition from class to class. Or maybe like a homeroom. Um, So trying to figure out like time is the biggest question that I always get from teachers. So I try to think of it as like an integration as opposed to addition. Um, And that helps teachers wrap their mind around it. Because teachers have so much to do. So I'm just like think of it as a way to like how can you integrate this? Don't think of it as a way to like add on. Um, but then, just with those one to five minutes, you know, really just building on um, their like awareness, their students' awareness, and like we've been doing a lot of work with like five five anchors of awareness: body, breath, surroundings, feelings, and thoughts. So, doing some type of practice where you're focusing on your body, so that can incorporate some movement, um, or you're focusing on your breath. Maybe there you're just sitting and you're breathing. Um, where you're thinking about you're focusing on your feelings, maybe you're doing a uh, journaling, you know so it's not always just sitting and breathing, but you have you have like um an array of of exercises that you can use just based on those five anchors of awareness,
3: yeah, yeah, what I love about it too is that there also seems to be a kindness component also, mm-hmm. which again, like I heard self-esteem, but I never really heard about self kindness or yes. It, when I was growing up, it was the like feeling good about yourself. But now that I reflect back on it, that seems a little bit hollow because it seems like just be happy or just think that you're awesome. Whereas the <laughs> self-kindness thing recognizes I have flaws and those are okay. I make mm-hmm. mistakes and that's okay. Like I can forgive myself. So can you talk to us a little bit about that kindness component?
2: Yes, for sure. Um, that is one thing that I, like. I stress with teachers, with parents and with kids is that you know, especially when thinking about like feelings and thoughts and we start like tuning into that stuff, it can, you know, can like bring some stuff up or it can start, you know, giving you some negative uh, thoughts about yourself Can be like, why am I having these thoughts? Why am I having these feelings? But to just like recognize them and be like, all right, that's just a thought. That's just a feeling. That's not who I am. That's what I'm experiencing in this moment. Because a lot of times if we don't teach our kids that I wasn't taught that as a kid, Mm -hmm. I was like. You know, I had crazy thoughts, and then I just like followed them, and I was, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, like I am that crazy thought. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. and, then, yeah. and You know, and then and then you go to therapy, and you and you fix that, <laughs>
3: <laughs> right? You right. know, but
2: like if we can teach our kids to recognize that, like that's just a thought, that's not like who you are, mm-hmm. um, and just really like build that that self kindness, and just have opportunities to even like it might sound silly, but even to just like look in a mirror. And just say like I am strong, hmm. I am enough, just to to get used to like saying that because it's so important. Or like we need to believe that we're strong, and we need to believe that we're enough, because um, that's where so many of our problems arise from: not feeling like we're enough, not feeling like we're strong that we can we can do things, we can persevere, you know. Right.
4: In a right. school environment where you are being graded too and testing and you know it's so academic focused for so long, um, I think it's also an opportunity for kids to learn a lot of people pleasing and perfectionism that can be. I mean, my son is eleven and entering middle school, and it's a it's a challenging time because he if he m- makes a mistake on a test or d- you know he really beats himself up and the shame I see the shame mm-hmm. spiral happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year we've been really working on the idea that he needs to be doing these things for himself. And that, yes, there's this balance between doing what you're told and being part of the classroom and and completing assignments and putting effort towards that, but that you aren't defined by the grade that you get. How do you talk to parents and teachers, you know, especially when teachers are invested in the school system is invested in, you know, for instance, the star test and Mm. those being high, you know, getting high marks. But, you know, the families are invested and the kids are invested in in having some sanity. So how do you balance (laughs) those two?
2: Uh, That's that's a great, great question. It's something that I get. Um, a lot with especially with focus on the star, and I've got all sorts of feelings about the star <laughs> test. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, just just like reminding teachers, and also trying to like remind district leaders as well that like, what w- like what do we want our students to leave AISD with? Do we want them to have this like string of good scores on STAR or Do we want to also put some focus on like them leaving with a positive like self image of, you know, do do we want them to leave, you know, thinking positively about themselves, which then allows that that builds the capacity to be kind to others, to, you know, to, you know, to show compassion for the world and your surroundings. Um, So I think it is definitely a balance. um, If it were up to me. I was the superintendent
3: <laughs>
2: um, which is why I'm not the superintendent uh, we, we, yeah um, but you know a lot of the, a lot of focus on that like building that social and emotional um, you know strength
3: okay so last question because Addie and I are selfish people <laughs> so we're both parents I yes. know parents listen to this show and we'd love to find out some specific tactics that we can use at home Uh with our kids i've got a four-year-old addie's got her kids a little bit older so we'd love to know just you know is it belly breath deep breathing is a little bit of yoga Uh Uh, you mentioned earlier that beautiful array of choices what are one or two things that parents can take away that they can start integrating into their day-to-day with children
2: okay so um I have the fortune of getting to share like with principal coffees um with parents at school, so i have had the fortune of meeting with a lot of parents and sharing strategies and some ones that have been really um successful the one is is uh finger tracing and i have a youtube play, uh like mindful aisd youtube playlist that i can share with you maybe we can put a oh, link, we'll put link totally yeah. For
4: sure. <laughs>
2: yeah it's growing but right now there's like 23 videos but they're just very simple exercises but finger tracing is is exactly what it sounds but you like you trace your fingers and as you breathe in you go up and breathe out go down and you just start and just keep going Trace your whole. Oh my God! I'm, I'm literally, out. I'm literally doing this <laughs> right now. Oh, this is
4: pretty. <laughs> listeners, please stop what you're doing and trace the outside of your hands. The outside of your hand. Of your hand. Yeah. Up, Breathe in. in. And as you come around.
3: Yeah. Go down. I'm super into this. Yeah.
4: <laughs>
2: so that's one finger um, tracing. Finger wow. Tracing. Awesome. Yeah. And then another one is is fingertip. So you bring your thumbs and pinkies together. Mm-hmm. And you march your thumb from your pinky. To your index finger nice and slow and you do that as you breathe in and as you breathe out you go back Mm. to your pinky Mm. and this has been really um helpful with uh with all ages but even like middle school and high school because they they can do it under their desk Mm. at a a football player at lbj that we taught this to and the that week in a game got really badly hurt and that ambulance had to come onto Mm. the field and he told us the next week the only thing that kept him from freaking out was doing he just mm. kept doing fingertip breathing wow. and it really helped him like, just, just stay, stay focused and not, and not follow those, you know, those thoughts and really like give right. in to that. Um,
3: panic. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. The panic. Um, so that, that, those things have been really helpful. And then also you can, you can use little positive self mantras like I am in control or peace begins with me you know, as you as mm-hmm. you touch each finger larger. to your thumb. Could be a gratitude um, list as you're going Could be a gratitude through. list, yeah. yeah. Love yeah. this. But the biggest thing is, like, finding a time, and I always recommend bedtime, because, you know, all kids go to bed. Um, and, in uh, theory. In theory, in theory. <laughs> sometimes not as early as we want them to, but... Uh, <laughs> But just building it into, like, the bedtime routine, Mm -hmm. because then it's not something new. Like, oh, mom, what are you trying to get me to do now? (laughs) I love this. (laughs) Or Um, dinner. Like, for us, when when we
4: drive home, you know, I drive my son home from school, and so we have, like, a solid 10 minutes in the car where I can either choose to be present and really listen to what he's saying, Mm -hmm. or I could, like, turn on the radio and, like, be distracted and and not really tuned into what he's saying. Um, Because those, I mean, the days are long, but the years are short. Yeah. As parents, yeah. our opportunities, I mean, our classrooms are, are changing every yeah. year. Um, yeah. And then once they get out, that's a whole other issue. But <laughs> uh, we'll invite you back <laughs>
3: yeah, for empty nest for strategies. <laughs> SEL. <laughs> okay, James, thank you so much uh, for so much. joining us. And uh, listeners, if you've got mindfulness strategies with kids, we would love to hear them. Talk to us on Twitter or Facebook. Thanks again, James. Yes,
2: thank you.
0: the I love you just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are let listen to where secrets go to die the disappearance of Derek Hennigan from the Detroit Free Press a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: So Much Podcast is proudly sponsored by Hilton. Discover Austin and choose from one of our many brands, including Hilton. Embassy Suites by Hilton. Doubletree by Hilton. Hampton Inn & Suites. And Home to Suites by Hilton. See more. Save more. Stay at Hilton. Unlock local experiences at travel.hilton.com.
4: Why is the Megas Taco the signature taco of Austin? In their new series, Tacos of Texas, Mondo Rayo and Jared Neese engage in taco journalism across several Texas cities. Mondo and director Dennis Burnett came in to tell us about the show.
5: Mondo and Dennis, welcome to I Love You So Much.
6: Well, Thank you very much.
4: Appreciate and you brought tacos. We brought tacos. Very on point. Thank
6: from, a, you. from a gas station. No, no fancy tacos. Very on brand. Are these
4: breakfast tacos? Or it's a mix tacos? of
6: breakfast tacos and some, I think fajitas is what we got. Yeah. So
5: before we get to the TV show, uh, the web series, the TV show, uh, the, the uh, what do you call it, transmedia property that you have constructed. How did this whole taco journalism taco project begin? Like, where did this all come from Ooh. and where did, where did it stem from? Can you go Ooh. way back? I can go way back. Jumping this
4: the way is back to the taco machine. You a time, ba- time machine. I know.
6: 2008. Possibly. Possibly. I was doing, uh, uh, for a friend, doing a write up uh, on tacos. And I, you know, the way I write is the way I talk. So I talk in song. I'm from El Paso. <laughs> And so uh, I did that. And then at the same time, uh, my buddy Jarrett, who's my co-author, Jared Neese, um, also started Taco Journalism. And then he was like, what are you doing over there? Come write for us. And basically I walked over, you know, from from one street to the other, from the one barrio to the other. Uh, And yeah, we kind of just started like that. We just started writing about tacos just because we were we because we love tacos and we wanted to kind of figure out oh you know there's some really great spots out here in austin that you know they're not really getting the credit that's due so that's kind of like where we started going to you know all these little mom and pop shops uh taco trucks trailers before it was like you know all hot and heavy in austin
4: this was perfect timing too because this was you know peak food blogging time there were a lot of independent bloggers writing about all kinds of things But you really wrote about tacos. It was also a team effort, effort too. So you could collectively write about, you know, you were doing profiles of the taco owners. You were writing about the tacos themselves. You were really advocating on behalf of traditional taquerias. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you built up this whole community around the cool idea of taco journalism, which I think at first maybe started off as like a a tongue-in-cheek idea. But then you're like, no, we are going to be... Journalists about or, you know for tacos yeah and then that evolved into authors well then that was the right. seed for what became what you're now doing so yeah, if you want to yeah. talk about that transition from
5: yeah I, did, I remember when I first saw it I was like oh how cute a blog about tacos yeah. and then it became <laughs> legit an yeah. empire I'm like oh okay I'm not okay. laughing anymore yeah. <laughs> PBS
6: doesn't think it's cute <laughs> <laughs> you showed us what happened yeah, yeah what happened next after the well you break? know I think I think uh, for us. Uh, it it was definitely, at least for me, you know, being, you know, Mexican um, and really seeing kind of what's out there in the media landscape and actually seeing that, you know, there's a lot of people that are talking about Mexican food and they ask the white chef. And so mm-hmm. for me, it was very important to tell these stories and allow these people to be able to tell their own stories. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how it kind of went from tongue in cheek to like, hey, let's talk about some some real cultural issues, mm-hmm. you know. And then uh fast forward, we got our, our first book um offer, I guess. Um, and I met Dennis. Uh and uh I well, think technically he never actually met me in person yet. We yeah. met we met through Facebook. And then what, you, you signed on to work together
4: yes, before meeting each other in real life? Darcy from House Bar oh, yeah
7: and her rabbits. And Mondo just happened to be on Facebook, saw the picture, reached out, I was like, Hey, I need a photographer for a book. And I was like, Hey, I don't know anybody in Austin. Yes. <laughs> had, now had, you just, had you just moved here?
4: I had just moved here yep.
7: like two months prior.
4: And so then you became the taco photographer guy. I did. That took I you, did. I don't know, Well, we're, we're jumping ahead, but then you guys did, well, you did the Austin Breakfast Taco Book. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, and then what came next?
6: So next came uh, the Tacos of Texas book, mm-hmm. and that's when UT Press reached out to us and basically asked us, like, what's next? Mm-hmm. And so when we went on that project, we want to make sure that we covered, you know, most of Texas. Mm-hmm. And so we said, we're going to go to 10 cities and try the best tacos there are. You know, we started a taco council. What in, year was that? Uh, that was in 2013, I believe.
4: I mean, they had like a truck yeah. with signage on it. Oh, yeah. On how many tens of thousands of miles did you drive around the yeah, state? Yeah, we, we Seven, drove over 7,000
6: 7, miles. 7, wow. Yeah, we had over 500 tacos in that in that. And then, and then Dennis here, um, well, first of all, he was like, I'll do it all. I'm going to take the photos and I, let's do video this time, you know. And so we started doing that. Um, and, and then from there we developed, uh, basically it was a, a, a book trailer, you know, for when the book was going to come out. And, and that was the kind of uh, the, uh, what, what came to be kind of a, a really great selling point for PBS. Mm-hmm of like this story that we wanted to tell around the culture and the food and the people behind the Tacos of Texas.
4: So it's like you made it, a trailer, you made a book trailer and an actual trailer for a show. The yes, and the, <laughs>
7: the biggest difference between Mondo and a lot of people I've worked with and is we didn't have a transcript when we hit the road. We didn't even really have like a route planned. We literally decided not to drive to San Antonio first, took a left, and then... Went Through that small town that you went, we went through. They got the, the one taco that yeah, you wanted the, to go to, I think it's Seguin. Yeah, yeah. Sagin. <laughs> and then we went to San Antonio to show off the truck, mm-hmm. meet some other people that could help us promote the project. Yeah, and it was just every time we meet somebody new, these people we were giving them a chance to tell us what they wanted us to
5: hear.
4: They became yeah. part of your story, everybody every you met time. on that journey.
5: And and then through these projects, these, these two books, like you, you become the taco experts, like you're the people that the mainstream. The lamestream media <laughs> goes to, of like, we need a guy to talk about expertise about tacos. We have a taco trend story we want to do. Sure. And then I, I just see you pop up on all these interviews and, like, on Texas Standard and all these yeah. places talking about yeah. your authority on tacos.
6: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, for me, it's not like I, you know, I just call myself, you know, uh, a taco journalist. I'm uh, I'm not an expert, you know, but I, t- I know people. I talk to them. And, and this this research uh, that we did on, you know, uh, not only starting in Austin, but going to 10 cities across Texas, you kind of learn a lot. And because, you know, you're eating with people, you're breaking bread or breaking tortilla and, uh, <laughs> you know, you just like, you know, you there's so much, uh, so many stories that people tell you about tradition and culture and the recipes and and, you know, why this tortilla is better than the next. And you end up learning a lot. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Then people do say, oh, that guy wrote a book. You should get, <laughs> get on him the show. on the show. To talk yeah. about tacos. <laughs> well,
4: that's why I loved. I mean, with the taco council that you put together, which was you put out this call that said, you know, we obviously don't know everything there is to know about tacos in mm-hmm. Laredo. But we know that there are people there that we can connect to. And rather than take their knowledge and then take it as your own, you did a great job of saying, you know, look, this is their knowledge. And what we're doing is we're just amplifying it. We're using our platform and our different books and videos and photos and Instagrams to help tell that story and to get more people to patronize your business.
6: Yeah, basically. I mean, the thing is, is for us, we never really wanted um, to to be kind of the gatekeeper. Yeah. You know, the show
7: the show wasn't about Mondo and Jared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They they were just tour guys, mm-hmm. and then everybody else. We were giving them a chance to you know hear what how they got their start, how many years they've done it, like Vera and Backyard. Mm-hmm. Bar, you know, Barbacoa has been doing it since three, three generations, three generations. And he's the last one in Texas to cook mm-hmm. Barbacoa underground. Now, wow. now, how do we get to this TV show? What what happens yeah, to we'll get us that. there? Uh, well, Mondo, you can take over with that, but because sure. I didn't know he he submitted to the Open, open mm-hmm. Digital and they're yeah. like we're doing what and we were already on it yeah we were already on a different job doing something else and yeah. he literally was driving in front of me i was he had a speaker by the way he wasn't using his phone <laughs> and he, he called me and told me that we were awarded this and i was like we we're awarded what yeah. <laughs> yeah. i was like okay no here we go put your seatbelt yeah. back on let's yeah. go for another ride
6: yeah yeah well the thing is you know uh, dennis and i work basically hand in hand in all these uh storytelling projects you know And so I was like, we were also entertaining some ideas around uh, talking to, you know, some, some agencies that, you know, wanted. Yeah, CAA, we had like
7: four conversations with them. And each time you met with somebody. It was a re-pitch mm. to a new person, mm-hmm. Repitch every time. And I was like... The, that the didn't joy get, of that, television, I that, tell that, you. That didn't get it, you know? <laughs> oh, man. So then I was
6: like, uh, I follow, uh, you know, here locally, Keller U and PBS and all that. And I just saw this grant application to do, you know, uh, a... A concept for uh, research and development. So I'm like, oh, psh, I could do more research and development on <laughs> tacos. I'm hungry. Sure. I'm hungry. Let's go. <laughs> and so then, then so so we did. I submitted the application, and a couple months later, uh, we got a yeah, we got a call. Uh, we were at a shoot, and afterwards, I was like, oh my god, we got it. And so we got funding to do the pilot. And, um, and, and, you know, that's basically kind of where it got started, you know? And so we, uh, we were really selective on uh, what places we went to definitely for the pilot. We went to, um, El Paso Mm -hmm. because of all the issues happening, not only around the border, but the food and being so far from everywhere else in Texas. And it's also my hometown. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Yeah.
4: So how many episodes did you end up shooting?
6: so we so we shot uh seven episodes and the whole concept uh was the iconic tacos of texas Mm -hmm. and so each city basically our tacos um the the tacos we chose um we we, for us tacos is is the trojan horse right Mm -hmm. so we go in with that so it's migas tacos in austin Mm -hmm. and puffy tacos in san antonio and in the valley, Barbacoa. And in Houston, it's um, yeah, Tacos it al Pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? And yeah, then you can talk
4: about so much stuff within that.
6: Within that, yeah. exactly. Then we get into kind of the people, mm-hmm. uh, the characters, and then some of the issues that kind of relate to that. Mm-hmm. So in Houston, we talk to a group of dreamers and how they stay connected mm-hmm. um, to their culture through the food. How they uh, define home. How, yeah, exactly. How they define home. Um, help me out. What are the other ones? Oh, Dallas, the new, like, modern... Modern Mexican. Modern oh, Mexican. Yeah, is that even a thing? Why
7: is that yeah, a thing? Yeah, now? and how, and you how, know, how that challenging th- that can be to it. sort
4: of accept that it, within the taco canon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, oh yeah. Dallas. <laughs> so what do you think, you know, tacos have become a little polemic, uh, a little... I mean, I roll my eyes every time I see like a breakfast taco war, or oh, sure. you know, yeah. Dallas trying to say that they're the taco capital of Texas, and we sure. all know, well, <laughs> probably somewhere else. But where do you weigh in on all of that? Because you asked to get weighed, you asked to weigh, you get asked to weigh in on this a lot.
6: Yes, I do. You know, to be honest, uh, among I would say, you know, even people like me, uh, that are on social media that are, you know, writers and whatnot. They start these things for, you know, really for no reason. You know, and I feel like that's why we hone in on the whole state of Texas. Mm-hmm. It's a celebration of Texas. Um, if you ask me personally, then yes, I will answer that question. Um, and my my answer is Houston, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the most like- the most diverse city, you know, basically in America, right? Yeah. And but exactly. but you know, at the end of the day, abuelas and mom and pop shops mm-hmm. and taco truck operators. They don't care about who's first and mm-hmm. who's last. They just care that you know about them. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And so 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 for me that's kind of how I weigh in and you know every 2 years there's another another taco battle mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, that was so 2008. Yeah, there're more I think there're more <laughs>
4: losers than winners when you get into that game. Yeah,
5: totally. Yeah, Let, let's rewind a bit and talk specifically about Austin because you spent a lot of time here. This is where we are. Uh, what what is sort of the taco profile of Austin? Because it feels like we have the you know the taco truck culture. We have mm-hmm. high end, low end. I mean, it feels like it, it, maybe not diversity of taco, but maybe diversity of high end to low end. Sure, do, sure. Do you see yeah. some of that in Austin? Yeah,
6: yeah. You definitely see um, uh, Austin. You know, the thing is when you, before like taco trucks became like all the rage, um, there was taco trucks. Mm-hmm. You know, there was always tortillas. You know. Um, uh, and then, then obviously the food truck scene kind of started blowing up, and then you know you have places like Taco Deli and Torties, basically getting like all of the credit for the tacos in Austin, okay. and and then the mom and pop shops—they're just you know going doing their thing, and so so I do feel that uh, that Austin has still has you know some great taquerias, uh, although most of the media attention goes to kind of the taco shops that have the big budget marketing campaigns, mm-hmm. but definitely for Austin. And what we focused in Austin was the migas taco because mm-hmm. anywhere you go, you can get migas anywhere you go and get a migas taco.
4: Now listeners, if you have not had a migas taco, you've got to get yourself one. Can you describe it very quickly? Yeah,
6: sure. It's, um, it's, uh, eggs with, uh, basically cooked with, um, tortilla chips, uh, Crunch stand, but making sure that they're still uh, crunchy and not yep. soggy yep. with uh, uh, usually onions, tomatoes, um, and jalapenos or serranos and cheese if you want to. And really unlike chilaquiles, you've yeah. got eggs in it. Yeah, you got yep. eggs in it, yep. there's no sauce. But There's migas no are, that, I had it.
4: never had migas before I moved to Austin. And uh, now, of course, it's my favorite breakfast taco. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh,
6: oh, I have friends <laughs> This weekend, that I had a friend,
7: um, we are at a wedding and there was a brunch afterwards and he had a migas taco. He's from Dallas and did not know what it was. Wow. Oh. That's why just I wanted to just put it, there. just in case we had
4: some newcomers who haven't tried it. And full disclosure, Omar and I are both in the very first Breakfast Tacos in yeah. Texas book. And my I, I shared a migas recipe that is a very white gold migas. with <laughs> <laughs> Brussels sprouts in it. But that yeah. was such a fun opportunity to share a recipe and a story. Yeah. And,
6: you know, the thing is, you can mix it up too you yeah know? what was your taco mine
5: mine was a very simple homemade like tube sausage roll like sausage egg and cheese <laughs> breakfast taco and i think i think if i were to update that recipe it would just say like buy the water burger yeah yeah sausage <laughs> at, H, at h-e-b you know yeah, make, totally. make it a whole texas thing
6: yeah yeah that's so funny yeah but you know like so we start with amigas and we tell people okay this yeah. is what amigas is and this is why it's iconic to austin um and then let's try an old Tex-Mex place so we went to Joe's Bakery Mm -hmm. and we talk a little bit about the issues happening in the east side our taco gentrification problem where on one side uh, on this on one road on Cesar Chavez you can get a two dollar taco at the end of that road there's tacos uh on the menu for eighteen dollars so that's a big you know big gap Mm -hmm. right there and then we also go to Veracruz All Natural of course because they have probably the best taco in the state, you know, and, and yeah. My I'm, eyes got real big. That's I mean, Ma- Matthew Odom's I'm, favorite. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would agree.
4: I can't think of a better, especially with Amiga's Taco specifically. I can't yeah, think yeah, of a better for one sure. Town,
6: for sure. And when you get to know their story, how they, uh, they went three years without paying themselves, mm-hmm. you know, sure. It's all popular now, mm-hmm. but you know, they've been working since day one mm-hmm. and they started with, um, with a fruit stand. You know, then they started adding more uh, the tacos and then and then more food and whatnot. Um, but it's their story and it's great to hear. And then you also kind of get an intro into um, the uh, taco journalist, uh, Jared and myself and get to know kind of how we got started. Yeah.
4: I mean, with me, guys, you can also learn about just the chip making and tortilla factories in East Austin and how those are, you know, being pushed out and, um, you know, tortilla chips being a way to extend eggs so that you didn't have to use quite so many eggs to feed so many people and a way to, you know, turn stale chips. I don't know. All these uh, messages are so true across so many different cultures, but it really takes a thoughtful eater today to look at a dish and say, what can we learn about the history of a place, the people who live here? what they're going through just by yeah. looking at a single food, food stuff.
6: Yeah, so, exactly. So
4: mad props for, for covering such a wide territory through the humble taco.
6: Yeah. Well, no, it's not so, humble, and not you so know? humble, not so humble. And you know, when you think about like, as we were filming, you know, we did seven episodes as we were filming, you know, uh, like I had my set of like ideas of what I wanted, but, but Dennis, you know, the guy, you know, he's, he's, he's a director. So he's the guy behind. The camera always telling us do this, do that, do this, <laughs> or or don't say this. And
7: <laughs> I don't know about that. I I just feel so honored to be a part of this taco team and the the, the seven. You know, we had Zach as a co-director, Robert was a still photographer, Nick's our sound guy, Chase flew in from New York for two episodes, Maria and Gerald were producers, and it was a, such a small family, and we worked so many hours to put this together. It was just gratifying to learn so much about a culture that was different than mine well dennis
5: can, can you direct us to the show like where can people find it what, what's the best way to watch it uh
7: it's not gonna be out until uh, november 13th november 13th Since, will be the premiere uh, itvs has a certain Storycast channel on youtube that is um one thing is different was pbs really pushed for us to make something for the millennials hmm. who um and i kind of hate that word cause i'm like born in 1984 so technically I am a millennial but um, <laughs> millennial. yeah well yeah so just learning how to tell a story in eight to ten minutes and that's one of the things we learned in El Paso is we tried to tell El Paso's story from you know start to finish yeah. and woof, yeah, yeah we learned a lot so we, we uh kind of reformat ourselves a little bit checked ourselves and had a lot of like meetings and then we just came up with more of a focused approach of using just one taco
5: and then one Deeper stories for each city. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for it, people. Tacos of Texas. And thank you, yep. Mondo and Dennis, for coming in. We really appreciate it. Thank you very y'all. much. We will be digging into those tacos here in a second. Thank yeah. you for bringing them. Awesome.
6: Tacos never die.
5: Eric, for the Web Report.
1: Hello. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Omar. That
5: wasn't awkward at all.
1: Good start. <laughs> well, I'm here to make it work so (laughs) you do that i'll do that that was a little clever lead-in to tell you that i talked on the phone to tim gunn you what Uh, (laughs) i did i did uh, all of
3: our collective dreams have come through mm -hmm. via yourself Mm -hmm. so what were y'all talking about
1: well so tim gunn uh project runway fashion mentor general icon
3: secular saint i I think think i would go so far as to say that future president let's hope yeah I think
1: that's all these things are fair. Moral compass of America. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> definitely. Uh, well, so Mr. Tim Gunn, uh, who actually recently announced that uh, he and Heidi Klum are leaving Project Runway. Wow. Uh, to do their own Amazon show. Who knows what that's going to be like. But he's going to be in Austin uh, for the Jewel Ball Fashion Luncheon, which is a society gala.
4: Uh-huh.
1: Hottest so, ticket in town. Hottest uh, <laughs> ticket in town of some sort. Uh, and he'll be talking about fashion like he does. But uh, before his little Austin John, I caught up with him on the phone uh, and you can read the article in Your Austin American Statesman and also online at com. But uh, basically, I wanted to ask him, he's so such a cu- cool cucumber, such a cool customer, you know, where does he find beauty in this fractious world of
3: 2018? Oh, that's a great how Jumping does, off point. Yeah. How does
1: Tim Gunn stay happy? Yeah. Well, so I was just kind of inspired because uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a Tim Gunnophile, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And I read this 2015 New York Times profile of him when it very first came out about his Sunday routine. Because sometimes they do those at the Times. And it always like stuck with me because it was so peaceful and solitary. Like he wakes up and he goes to a diner and then he walks through Central Park and he goes to the Met and he just looks at art all day. And then he goes to the cafe in the Met and he gets a glass of wine and he thinks about the art and researches Aww. the art.
3: Yeah. So there's this ritualistic quality to his Sundays. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And he's, you know, kind of famously <clears throat> has spurned the idea of love uh, after, you know, a, a traumatic experience. And so uh, I just really touched me how he sort of owns, in, owns and dives into uh, that, that Sunday solitude and I, I identified with it. And so... I asked him sort of how is that different in twenty eighteen? And he said he's taken up fencing.
0: Wow. So he still does the Met thing,
1: but he's really into fencing now and so he goes and in his words gets slaughtered by teenagers on Sundays. <laughs> At fencing bouts. He thinks whenever he's like, you know, on the fencing strip, all he can think about is fencing. So it kind of gets his mind off of things. Totally. I can
3: relate to that.
1: Yeah. And so it was just a pretty expansive talk. And I mean, we talked about Aretha Franklin, who he thinks is vitally important in 2018. Uh, Guess which song he thinks resonates the most in our current era. Uh,
3: Natural Natural Women. That's
1: uh, actually a pretty good guess. I say a little prayer because everything's terrifying. Also, again, a really good, <laughs> good, good guess. Low-hanging fruit, though. It's respect because he thinks we could all use a little more respect.
4: Oh, uh, yeah,
1: because as okay. he puts it, and again, a quote. He says, "Mr. So and So in the White House uh, is, you know, uh, he <laughs> said, Kim Gunn says, is making people feel, oh." Uh,
3: He's able, not able to so, hurl
1: abuses at each other.
3: He's not so much the embodiment of respect. <laughs> no, no, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, so, okay, Eric, I have a question about Tim Gunn. I get the sense that he's very natural when you're talking on the phone with him. Was it okay? Hold on, let me just fangirl for a second. Was it instantly like y'all were besties, or did you have to earn his trust, or how did it go?
1: Super warm. <laughs> I told me would crash on my couch when he's in town if you wanted to. <laughs> Hoping he'll take me up on it.
3: Was like ha 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 dignified chuckle. Yeah,
1: I actually <laughs> I feel like I normally do a Tim Gunn impression when I like <laughs> like say things that he said, but I don't feel like I want to commit my Tim Gunn impression to.
3: He might be listening.
1: Audio ah, recording. Hi, <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's a really lovely conversation. And one other thing that we touched on, that I think, is important to mention is he didn't know. Okay, first of all, have y'all watched Queer Eye? Yeah, the Netflix mm-hmm. weekly, kind of Queer Eye. Yeah. The new one. Okay, mm-hmm. are we familiar with the French Tuck?
3: Actually, I'm not. I Omar? I saw
1: that one. Oh, um, we're about to reenact the, the learning <laughs> moment. So, uh, the French tuck is this thing that Tan France, the style uh, mentor in the new Queer Eye, it's sort of his one of his go to fashion tricks to zhuzh up an outfit, and it's tucking in the front of your button up shirt, but leaving the back of it unducked. Oh, yeah. Untucked. Yeah. Yeah. Which you see. Oh, seen I it. do that all the time by accident. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I just forget to tuck <laughs> in the back Omar of my shirt. Just lazy. I'm a fashion <laughs> maven. Yeah. Well, I would have said that anyway, Omar. Thank you. Uh, but you, Tim Gunn, one too. Um, but it's kind of become a meme a little bit because people have s- sort of seen it as a an easy go to in their daily lives. Like, oh, I can do that. Like that's that's something I can do. I'm fashionable now. <laughs> and then I hashtag it, nailed it. Exactly, right, exactly. It. <laughs> another another great Netflix show. Uh, but so I asked Tim Gunn what he thought of the French Chuck, and he hadn't heard of it. He hadn't heard the phrase, uh-huh. and so so you
3: educated him. This was my about something in fashion. Literally,
1: you can. Put me in the ground and heat dirt over me because I I am done. There's nothing left for me in this world. <laughs> I explained a fashion thing to Tim Gunn. But he knew what it was and he hates it. <laughs> oh Yeah. So we're not gonna see him on a Sunday
5: wandering around the Met with a French tie You will
1: not see him with a French check. He thinks it violates his, uh, his his rules of style to keep you Clean looking for It's all yeah. about proportion and that's just apparently a janky proportion. It is kind of half uh, half measures. Okay. It's mm-hmm. a half tough I really. can yeah,
3: I can see that not being appealing to Tim Gunn. Well, Eric, congratulations. Um, on speaking to him and he will be in town in Austin. That's exciting. Um, where can people find your
1: article? Uh, com.
3: Yay! Okay, well thanks so much Eric for talking with us.
1: Thanks for having me as always. Happy talking.
5: it's time for a toast where we go around the table and talk about things we feel you should check out very very soon uh addie why don't you start us off
4: inspired by our lovely visit with richard garriott a few weeks ago i actually picked up his book called explore create oh omar you had said you were reading it and first i was like well let me just borrow it i'm like no go get the dang book so i went and got the dang book and i'm so glad i did um, explore, create is the title and it really is also how he has, um, set up the book. So one chapter will be about his exploration and then that part of his life. And then the other side is the the creation side. And the very first chapter is about him going to see the Titanic. So it's not necessarily linear, but then I'm far enough into it that I'm actually reading about his early Dungeons and Dragons days, which I don't give any crap mm-hmm. about, but at the same time, it was really interesting to hear how that informed his worldview And I just had such um, I walked away from that interview with such a huge amount of respect for him and an interest in how he's raising his kids that I just knew I would get a lot out of that from the book. And it has just not failed me at all. And here's the here's the really secret surprise is that Julian, my almost 12 year old, is also interested in it. So we are finally going to explore create and explore, create the book. So we are for the first time ever reading our own little book club book between the two of us where we both have different bookmarks and we're both like kind of in the same part. And now we're talking about it. And it's just right for him. He's in, in middle school at this time where he's sort of thinking about what he wants his life to be and what are the values of his life and how that's going to propel him. And so what better mentor than our own Richard Garriott? So that's my toast. Nice. Okay. Uh, Omar, what do you have, sir?
5: Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, yeah, just from reading that book, it, it just reminds you how, much, how many things he's done and, and having him here in Austin, you forget what an interesting life he's led. And yeah, that was such a great reminder. to. He's got a great
4: philosophy about it too. He's like, you know, I might've studied one thing, but really I was, you know, you might think of me as like a gaming developer, but actually I just studied philosophy and religion and like world history. And Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things inform how he does his actual job, which I thought was also important for Julian to realize that, you know, we are all multitudes. We all have lots of interests and that you don't have to be limited by like, Oh, well my dad was an astronaut. I should be an astronaut and that's it. Like he is an astronaut, you know, well, He's or like even a, your an college, on the side. even your college major. Yeah. It, could it be all, your, it all, it all gels together. In yeah. And the book just came out last year. So it was, it's oh, still yeah. relatively new. And, um, you know, right now I'm in this part where he's talking about how he, what happened when he got money. Like he made $150,000 his senior year of high school by selling his first video game. Whoa. And so. And, wow. And it, and, and it changed him. And his friends told him, this has changed you. And so then now he's talking about his relationship with money, which is just, it's just interesting to hear. So.
5: Yeah. Super interesting guy. I mean, like we, we could have talked to him for like hours. Oh, hours. He was amazing.
4: Where is his podcast? he doesn't have one, right? Anyway.
5: Not, no, he's been busy. Proud <laughs> <He's laughs> <shrouded> of <laughs> the avatar which is kind of all uh, all consuming, but uh anyway, yeah.
4: Omar, what about. are you listening to or interested in these days?
5: Uh so I wrote about uh for the statesman uh, one of the last stories I did for 512 tech was about a documentary on HBO called Swiped uh which is um hook uh let me see, it's Swiped Digital Hookups. Wait, I'm sorry. Hookups in the Digital Age.
3: Oh, okay. So, like a Bumble, Tinder yeah. documentary. And, cool. And the
5: person who did the documentary is a journalist and filmmaker, Nancy Joe Sales, who did the Bling Ring. She's right. a Vanity fair right, writer. Right. right. Uh, so, you know, and she has done stuff in Austin before. She did a story about uh, sugar daddies and sugar babies uh, with that, that kind of caused some waves a few years ago. Mm. So, she's, she's a really good writer and really good filmmaker because I really loved this documentary. And she actually came to Austin. So, like, the first thing you see in the documentary is this beautiful overhead shot of Austin. And then you see this house party, you know, with the solo cuffs and everybody kind of having to, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, house parties in your 20s. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that that Austin. <laughs> uh, but it really dives deep into all of the issues around online dating, around dating apps. They interview uh, Whitney Wolf Herd from Bumble. They interview some people from Tinder and OkCupid. Okay and what comes out of it, uh, what I got out of it was just that, there's just a lot of implications to online dating and app dating that that it has moved so quickly yeah. that there's a lot of implications we just haven't considered yet. You uh. mean like to society? Yeah, I mean, and just how we think about relationships, the impact, right. yeah. how yeah, and you know, intersectionality and race and uh, mm. just all right. these right, aspects right, right, around right. it. Yeah. And by the end of the documentary, it even touches on sort of the the sexual violence cases that have, mm-hmm. that came from people meeting on these apps and how mm-hmm. these app companies really have not kept up with. A lot of those things they really have not yeah. thought far enough ahead or protected their users enough from some of these things, and you know it's it's scary and dark, but then you also see these people like, "Hey, I actually found someone and I'm in love because of this app and I you know it made it so much easier for me and it it's it's very complicated and mm-hmm. complex and, and wow
3: as- i I'm, I'm I totally want to see that, and yeah. I'm really personally fascinated in the intersectionality thing and' yeah. it's like um rather than democratizing or giving people like a healthy like um, like view of the world and your potential partners out, out there like reinforcing some unhealthy messages. Yeah. And
5: <laughs> I got to isolates. and I got to interview her for that article and she was really you know fascinating to talk to and really fun to talk to yeah. uh, and you know she agreed with me that like Bumble has just really good marketing but it's not really doing much different than any every mm-hmm. other dating app. Yeah. Uh, and you know it, it was it's just a good documentary. It's on HBO you can find it on HBO Go and I think uh, it's it's very broad. I mean it touches on a lot of different things. It doesn't drill down on one specific aspect of app dating but I think by doing that it shows you how broad the implications are of online dating yeah. how many ways it has spread across the culture yeah. and all the implications of that so yeah check it out it's on HBO I think it debuted like two weeks ago but you can still find it you know on HBO Go HBO Now and, and you know repeating on the network so yeah. check nice. it out
4: thanks for that Omar yeah. Tali what you got okay so
3: actually I saw an advanced screening of A Simple Favor last week oh, how's that it's, um, okay so it's this new it's by the previews, you would get a sense that it's a very dark thriller, but it's actually a lot more fun and dishy and frothy than it is dark and gone girly. You're
4: going to have to fill me in. I don't know about this. Okay,
3: so Paul Feig is the director, um, the co-creator of um, Freaks and Geeks. Bridesmaids, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, good track record. It's starring Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively, and the conceit is this mommy vlogger, Anna Kendrick... Um, meets Blake Lively at school who's this, like, incredibly glamorous and almost, like, cartoonishly boss lady chick. And they develop an unlikely friendship, and then suddenly Blake Lively disappears. And the, at first, the vlogger chick is devastated and really concerned and kind of goes on this, like, Nancy Drew hunt to figure it out, but then it goes on the, all these twisty turns and... um. Anyway, so it's it's a lot of fun. Um, But here's the thing: I really enjoyed seeing it. Like I laughed a lot. Anna Kendrick just has a very winning, like screen presence. Um, So she was the highlight of the movie for me. But I have really mixed feelings around this cottage industry that's grown up around Gone Girl of women that go missing, and it turns out they faked their own death, or they faked their own kidnapping. I feel like there's a seed of misogyny planted in there that I can't quite shake. Like, women are suspect even when they're dead. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I and, and by the way, I loved the original Gone Girl when it came out. Loved it. Loved the book. Enjoyed the movie. But um, I just feel like that's a very common trope not only in literature and movies these days, but even in real-life kidnappings of women. Like, oh, well, did she fake it to, like, get the life insurance money or whatever, and you just never hear that story about men, do you? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, but then maybe I thought there's perhaps an alternate reading of it of just like women are so badass that they like (laughs) think 10 steps ahead to like successfully pull off their own kidnapping or fake their death or something. But it left me, the movie itself, I had a lot of fun watching, but the broader cultural implications, I'm still... Sitting with and wondering if I'm okay with that. I'm
5: considering your question, and I, I think what would give me away is that I don't think I could do it without Google Calendar.
3: <laughs> and so they'd be like, "Oh, he right. hacked into his Google
5: Calendar. Yeah, he totally faked
3: it. Yeah, <laughs> totally, let's go bust him. Totally." But do y'all know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, do y'all feel yeah. me on this? That like sure. it, that there's like something problematic about that trend in storytelling. Well, there's
4: definitely a. I mean, misogyny is sort of defined by like the desire for women to not be there or to shut up or to go away. Yeah, and I mean, even now with this. Kavanaugh stuff. It's like, oh, if you know, she could just keep quiet, and that could that story could just disappear. Like that is right. sort of like an unspoken wish, yeah, sadly, yeah, yeah. For a, a lot of the population. So no wonder we're seeing those sort of fantasies brought to life, and then right. to, be, to be able to ultimately like point it back on her. It's like, well, she did it herself, exactly. But, but when exactly.
5: it's you know, when it's a female novelist writing it, it's like it's a little complicated. Well, too.
3: that's the thing. it's like, I don't necessarily think that like Gillian. Gillian Flynn herself is problematic I'm just saying this cottage industri- industry that's I'm saying our fascination mm-hmm. our cultural fascination points to something darker I think with women who can't even be trusted when they're dead mm-hmm. gotcha. so I'm pointing the finger at all of you society <laughs> <laughs> and that finger circles and points back to myself because I keep reading these books okay uh, guys great toast this week <laughs>
4: thanks Holly <laughs> thanks guys
3: That's our show. She's Addie, he's Omar, I'm Tali. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter at loveaustin360. If you liked what you heard today,
4: leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. It helps other people discover the show. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is produced by Alyssa Vidalis. The show is made with support from features editor Sharon Chapman and the entire Austin 360 staff. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com.
5: You can find more about the show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave a voicemail at 512-445-3672. This podcast is brought to you by Hilton Austin.
4: We couldn't do the show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your UT Gendies chocolate frosties. Until next week, we'll see you at an Austin event enhanced by the presence of baby goats.